Oh yeah, I'm recording. Roll on two. Yeah, I'm recording as well. Black Panther literally is Iron Man 1, but better. It's Iron Man 1 with better toys. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I've watched four films in the last four years, so... <laughs> That's quite impressive given the fact that The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi came out and we did a 16-part season of remedial nerding about films. I'm not counting films that I watched <laughs> while doing dishes. <laughs> Dish movies need not apply. I have seen Force Awakens, Rogue One, Last Jedi, and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> oh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is amazing. I mean, that was actually a lie. I saw Lincoln starring Daniel Day-Lewis by Steven Spielberg, but I think they're basically the same film. <sighs> I don't think they are. Just one had a bigger budget for dentures. <laughs> Alright, let's mash play. Let's do that. Oh wait, let's also mute it so that the... Mics don't get confused. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Doesn't everything look a lot more normal now, now that we're in season two? Is we going to let Paul do the intro? Well, before we start talking about that, how about hello and welcome to season five, episode four of Remedial Nerding. This week we are watching The Measure of a Man. We are, which... I'd, I'd completely forgotten what this was, other than Data doesn't want to be disassembled number five. Turns out it's really quite deep towards the end. It's a very deep episode. It, it's a very Roddenberry episode. I'm not sure if Roddenberry had much to do with this, actually, from the details. Certainly it's got the classic Star Trek... Moral. Yeah, it's a moral episode. Oh, wait, no, the person who wrote it was a former attorney and an original series novelist. <laughs> I would never have guessed. Also, there is actually a... A law-educated degree behind this courtroom drama. I do like that we discovered that the JAG course still exists within Starfleet. It's a very American term, JAG. Was it Judge Attorney General? Judd Advocate General. But it's also the first instance of them playing poker. O'Brien in a yellow shirt as well as Geordie. With an ensign rank on. And Dr. Polanski, who I thought didn't turn up until season three or four. I didn't realise they switched Beverly out as quick. Oh no, I think, I thought she was just Tulaski was only in for season two, yeah. Yeah, so it's not quite back into the prime timeline yet. But it was a bit odd, like the first episode of season two, oh by the way, uh, Geordie is now Chief of Engineering wearing yellow, Worf now wears yellow, oh and Beverly's gone on sabbatical. We've got this new grumpy old person from the original series in to take her place. Or was it always meant to be temporary then, in fiction? I believe so. Hmm, I'm sure that I can find out if I go looking for it, but I do now wonder what was going on. It was just Kate McFadden touring Brazil for a year or something. <laughs> Which is watching the introductory poker game. Yeah, again, this is closer to hashtag my data than hashtag not my data. But it's still very emotional, or close to mimicking emotion. Somewhat, yeah. He's, I mean, he's playing the role of living computer who knows who can count cards without trying to but then gets totally misled because he didn't account for the possibility that people might bet stupidly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I like it. He opens his game with, I've literally counted the cars before we've started. <laughs> Lots of sexual overtones in this one from the, uh, the, the Jag person towards Picard. Keep calling him a sexy bald man. <laughs> it is unclear to me exactly what their former and current relationship is. From what I gathered, when the Stargazer went kaputs... Which was Picard's previous command. And Jean-Luc Picard was court-martialed because apparently there has to be one as part of the investigation. She went after him with lots of gusto and he hates her for it. Well, I didn't get the impression that he hates her. I think they already knew each other when yeah, she it prosecuted that way. for that. Maybe they were knocking boots. Possibly. Because younger Picard was a rogue. Or a renegade, possibly. He, he took uh, Kirk 101 as an additional class of Starfleet. I was about to say, I'm fairly sure that Kirk does not um, teach any classes, and I guess we know for a fact he doesn't because he gets accidentally sucked into heaven and then gets a bridge dropped on him. <laughs> Spoiler. But he still didn't die alone. Whoa! Ow! Have you broken yourself? Well, because I'm recording on the laptop, VLC uses mouse gestures and touchpad gestures to control the volume, so I was moving the cursor around the screen and accidentally turned the volume from 40 to 190% (laughs) just at the climax of the theme tune. So now I can't hear anything. (laughs) Rookie mistake. Yeah, it occurs to me that apart from the like establishing shots of the Enterprise rolling up and parking outside a space station or whatever, everything in this could be done on stage quite easily in this episode. You could replace, you know, an android with, say, someone, you know, a person of colour and basically had exactly the same show and set it in, like, the 1700s. Well, yeah. I everything mean, else is basically the same. The premise of the episode is Dred Scott, but for robots. I'm missing a reference here. I'm missing a touchstone. Yeah, that was, it was a US Supreme Court case that said, actually, yes, slavery's fine. <laughs> oh, so okay. now generally regarded as not a great court case. <laughs> <laughs> in the history no. of court cases, not a great one. A damn sexy man. Yeah, Picard does not know how to take that compliment. No, he doesn't. She's definitely hitting on him. Oh, thank God the Admiral's arrived. <laughs> the Admiral's arrived, who is very cheerful and chatty throughout, and then a very short time later, they say that Picard is the most senior person on the station, so I presume that Admiral has just jetted. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I hear the Enterprise is going to be in the neighbourhood. I'm going to rock up just for a brief tour of the bridge and to screw over one of their bridge officers, and then I'm off. (laughs) I came, I fucked shit up, I left. (laughs) And also Maddox in a blue jumper, which I guess is science. Yes, it is. Also, I've just noticed that Wesley is on the bridge. Yeah, and no one comments on that. He's on the bridge. He's, He's literally in the driving seat. This is where he was given his field promotion to acting ensign. Well, that happened in season one. Apparently in the first episode of season two, he like ums and ahs whether to go to, to Earth with Beverly and decides to stay on the Enterprise. Oh yes, Commander Max is here to work on your Android. Please take care of it. Toodle pip. I was just about to comment on how nonchalantly is like, yeah, he's here to rip apart your Android. I'm Admiral out. I think the Admiral is the only bit of this episode I don't like. His patrol does not fit the tone of anyone else in this episode. It's like someone that's accidentally found his way into the role of Admiral and has no idea as to how to conduct himself. Just does not know what he's doing. I think he was doing one of those kind of 
Oh, very important. I've got to go now so I can go back to my office and play Candy Crush Saga for six hours and clock <laughs> off. <laughs> and send an email at 8pm to give the impression I've been working all day. I, I need to catch a, a shuttlecraft at, uh, oh, five minutes from now. Oh yeah, so Commander Maddox has been working at this starbase, I guess, and his project has been to build more datas, and it's not going very well, so his plan is, even though I don't really understand how this works, I'll just take data apart, and then, logically, I'll know exactly how to put it back together properly. <laughs> yeah, it's just that like, I've got a bit of a positronic brain. I'm going to download data and try and upload him into that. But don't worry, I'm going to copy him first, just in case anything goes wrong. That would have been a very different direction for the episode if there was now just a space station that was also a person. <laughs> well, I suppose legally not a person, because they would have had to have lost the court case in order to get screwed over in that way. I, I found it disturbing, which means it was probably a really good piece of writing, that Maddock constantly refers to data as it and except when Data specifically asks him a question, doesn't talk to Data at all. No, I thought that was really well done. I mean, it really irritated me. But like we were talking about before, it, they they call him out on it. Hmm. There is no ambiguity in this episode about who the bad guy is. Yeah. No. <laughs> it, it is, in fact, the Federation. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at least enough of it that he managed to get someone signed off on the paperwork to have Data put in a blender or whatever. I'd like to think that when that the JAG officer sent off to find out whether Data was considered Starfleet property after he apparently signed up of his own volition. That it was the same Admiral that had just given the yeah, fuck it, rip him apart order that just was like, yeah, I'll sign this off. <laughs> On the other half of my screen, I've, I've got a little Wikipedia. A wab, a wab, I was going to say a wabbit hole, but that's because I was decided I was going to say a warren or not, but I've just a nested a bit of... Uh, Wikipedia tabs, reading about uh, Mariana Cert- Marina Sirtis. Apparently she's got a Cockney accent, which I just cannot... I mean, I know she was British, <laughs> but I cannot imagine her as a Cockney. Great. I'm now going to have to freaking YouTube that just to hear it. <laughs> I mean, she's not British anymore. She's a naturalised US citizen and has been for years. I mean, that has very little to do with this episode because she's <laughs> not in it. in it. Is she in it at all? No, you don't see her at all. Yet you would have thought that in this time of emotional turmoil and strife, the ship's council would have been really fucking useful. Yeah, good point, actually. Especially for Riker, who actually gets put through it. Well, that's true. But then Picard goes and speaks to Guinan, who only turned up in this season. That is one of the points at which I thought, that's interesting, and then that's not so great. Which is that they have... We're jumping ahead, but they have Picard when he's at his low point in the court case, i.e. prosecution's just given its arguments. Will Riker has crushed it. Yeah, goes and has this conversation with Guinan. And they put the argument of, hey, isn't this kind of like slavery, but not in those words, in the mouth of a black actor. Well, oh, that underlines the point. But then, unfortunately, they have Picard like turn to camera and say, we're talking about slavery. I did think in the court case it was a bit unfair of Riker to turn Data off. <laughs> That'd be like, let me prove that you're not alive. I'm just getting a lump hammer and smacking him over the head until he not passes out. It was unfair and he ripped his arm off. Yeah. Yeah, so the the dramatic mainspring of this episode is that they decide to have this court case at like 20 minutes into the episode, incidentally. And Picard gets assigned to the, what is it, defence? Defen- uh, yeah, defence, as yeah. in taking the data as a person and can't be melted down for scrap position. Team good. But then they get randomly assigned, or procedurally assigned, I guess, Riker to the prosecution. And he's like, well, I'm just not going to. 
Yeah, he was assigned because he was the, the second highest ranking officer from the ship, wasn't he? That's yeah. why Picard ended up as the defence, because it was from the ship. But this seems like such a... I mean, I don't want to argue against it too much, because it is what makes the last, last half of the episode really meaty, is seeing Riker trying to walk a tightrope of do a good enough performance that he doesn't get dismissed and the case dismissed, but not so good that he actually wins. Hmm. Because oh, he gets told if she thinks he's not trying his hardest, she'll just summarily have it win and get data disassembled. Yeah, because yeah, but... his first standpoint was, I'm not going to do this. I believe data's a sentient being and a man in his own right. I can't formulate you know, the argument against it. And she just goes, fine, he's a toaster melting down. But creating a situation with those incentives is great for a dramatic TV episode, but it is self-evidently terrible for a legal system. <laughs> I got a bit. She does. She does call him a toaster. She does. Why does someone in the twenty fourth century know what a toaster is? The food all comes out the replicator, pre-toasted. No, not all of it. Why does Data know about the concept of preserving wrapping paper in a universe in which that is being thrown straight in the matter reclamator? <laughs> yeah, I did think that as well. There is not a cupboard where they're keeping slightly used Christmas paper for eleven months. Also, how small is Data's? suitcase oh yeah he's packing his stuff but he's taking a film canister we'll see that's because he's got a rep- he knows there'll be a replicator when he gets there he <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to take any underpants he does just take his his medals and his hologram of tasha and a book and that's it oh and here we have maddox is a is a dick number two or he just walks into data's room and starts yeah rifling through his stuff it doesn't matter <laughs> you're a toaster i think this reveals some kind of spectrum of thought in society as a whole i think like on one end there's the people from westworld who are like well these identical to humans in every way except a razor thin moral difference that means i can go buck wild on them and at the other end of the people there's people like me who have to restart a game if we're too rude to npcs (laughs) (laughs) you accidentally pick a slightly perceived dialogue option like well restart (laughs) I, I, i did enjoy data's almost monologue on memory Oh yeah, why he suspects that being downloaded and re-uploaded, even if it works, might not be quite right. Yeah, it might remove the flavour of his memories. It's a bit like we talked about before in the podcast a couple of seasons ago about, you know, when you wake up in the morning, are you the same person you were when you went to bed? That's the same kind of moral dilemma. If you turn me off and download me and then put me back into the body at some point later, am I still Data or am I just someone who remembers being Data? But there's going to be a Big question. There was an article I read the other day that like they're getting close to being out, or they they think they're getting close to being out to download human memories and consciousness into a computer system. But they like say, is is that the person? Is it just something that thinks it is? Does it even think? I mean, if by close you mean in our children's lifetime, close maybe. That's still close. I might be able to live just long enough to get into a prototype. And then live forever. <laughs> Wasn't there... Oh, sorry, isn't there now more time between us and the Apollo missions than there were between the Apollo missions and the Wright brothers? Wouldn't be that surprising. It's about right. Because yeah, the Wright brothers were literally turn of the century, weren't they? But the Apollo missions were basically just very big, very carefully designed rockets. They weren't especially sophisticated in the grand scheme of things. Those paper aeroplanes the Wright brothers threw together were very complicated at the time. So that was 1903... The Kitty Hawk flew. 
Oh, sorry, no, it was at Kitty Hawk that the Wright flew in 1903 and Apollo was in 69. So it was 66 years from the first powered flight to someone walking on the fucking moon. Which does just remind me of the uh, the fake newspaper mm. front page from The Onion. Yeah. Like, the, the headline is, holy fucking shit, man walks on fucking moon. <laughs> I've derailed myself somewhat here. You have. Maddox has a line in when he's trying to argue his case that... What, if Data were a box on wheels, I wouldn't be getting this resistance. But what if it was the Crushinator? <laughs> I love him, Pa! Well, I think even if he looked like C-3PO, he wouldn't be getting so much resistance. Because they very casually wipe <laughs> his memory. No one gives a shit. True. <laughs> Yet no one wipes R2s. So that does beg the question then, is R2 just a massive dick that doesn't want to tell anyone anything? Because C-3PO keeps calling him a piece of shit. Or does Luke know the truth all along? Oh, it's R2-D2 and Chewbacca who both know everything that's going on and just don't tell anyone ever. Just dicks about it. This may be something that you want to cut, but I feel I have to tell you two about it. It comes up periodically in the kind of paranoid um, conspiracy theory portion of the internet that's occupied by people who care about calligraphy. (laughs) Today in out-of-context nonsense... (laughs) I did like that they is unwrapping his present ever so neatly. As some people are just want to do because they are strange like that. And they're like, no, they just rip it. But if you take it and preserve it, you can reuse it. It's like, no, you're missing the point. And he just goes, fine, fuck it. And just rips it in two, screws it up and drops it. What he should have just done is got used his Android strength to rip the entire book in half. Data <laughs> <laughs> get mad, data get strong. <laughs> I I liked that because that is in keeping with Data's arc of attempting to figure out how to navigate human society. That the point is to demonstrate enthusiasm by tearing the paper. It's just <laughs> that the save the paper cultural norm can't possibly exist in a world with replicators. <laughs> One thing you did get from that scene, obviously, it's a bit different because we've missed most of a series. Is the uh, relationship between the different crew members. Yeah. uh, Geordie's pouting in the corner, but that's because Geordie is good friends with Data. And you can see they've done a lot more relationship building in the the intervening episodes. Yeah, Data's sorry you're resigning to avoid being dismantled party. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of didn't remember Riker and Data being such good friends as they appear to be in this episode. They kind of give Riker the mentor role. I think this, this actually brings them... Fairly close together. You see at the end where Data mm. goes to speak to him. It was quite a, a heartfelt moment. I got a little choked. Also didn't realise watching this first time, Riker's beard. Yeah, season two, he's grown a beard. He's, yep. he's not baby-faced Riker no more. He was also in a chair just now, but unfortunately I was not paying attention to whether or not we sat down oh. on it on screen. No, he was seated before he started. Did you get the sense at any point that Riker's competitive side comes out? Yes. When he's going over Data's schematics, looking for an in, and it pops up at the, the emergency shutdown button, and you see his face light up with, yes, I've got this, only to then be replaced with, fuck, I've got this. You know, it's kind of weird that in The Naked Now, they had the had Data do his Shylock speech, if you prick me, do I not leak thing. Hmm. When it would have been completely appropriate in this episode, but they just go against it. 
Dayton never really argues on his own behalf. He just kind of says, well, obviously I'm a person. I did like the way with this, and we talked before about the uh, sort of the syndication-based nature of The Next Generation. This is an episode that has quite a lot of callbacks and is also called back to in specific other episodes later on, which is unusual for most sort of mid-season episodes. Yeah, because they call back to Data and Tasha's fling, or possibly it was more of a relationship in the intervening season that I've forgotten about. Although talking of Tasha, I did notice a producer's name, like Jeff Armas. Huh. Oh, really? Hang on a minute, let's IMDb this, because I'm pretty sure it wasn't Jeff. <laughs> uh, Riker's sat there drinking what is quite obviously a cold cup of milky coffee. But the way it's set on the glass, it's like, that coffee's been sat there a while. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with cold milky coffee. There isn't. Burton Armas wrote the episode, or did he? Produced it. <laughs> No, it was, it was written by Melinda Snodgrass. Yeah, he produced it. He produced 13 episodes in total, all from this season. So I guess he left in 89. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, to go and work on Dragnet, and then various cop dramas. I don't quite like the way that Picard makes the computer read out all of Data's citations. Mm. Well, though, Riker doesn't object when bad guy gets on the stand, and Picard's like, yes, 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 he's an expert. The pace of this episode was very different to The Naked Now, and... Encounter at Farpoint. In what way? Slower. Yeah, it's a lot slower. There's a lot less going on. Yeah, I do feel like they could have compressed it into a 22-minute slot, if that had been necessary. I do know a lot of the second series of TNG was plagued by uh, Guild Writers' Strikes, which is part of the reason why there's only 22 episodes in the season, one of which is Shades of Grey. Oh, is that in this season? I assumed that was the capstone to the distressing first season. No, unfortunately it was like the end of season two. Oh, here we go. Here comes... I am Bender, please insert Gerda. <laughs> I messaged you guys yesterday, watch when Data bends it, and then watch it when Riker puts it down on the desk. It's another instance of Picard doing my job for me, because he says, why are we doing this? How is this at all relevant? He also refers to it as mega strength. Yeah, in a slightly comic book fashion. So you see how tight the bend yeah. is there, and how it's buckled oh, yeah. in the middle. And now watch when Riker puts it down. Oh look, it's a nice even curve. Ah, metal will flex back against itself when... It is bent. Not if you bend it as hard as Data did. Hey, there'll always be a bit of flex back. Like 30 degrees worth. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> had definitely plastically deformed that metal. It was That was not an elastic deformation. That was a plastic deformation. I was going to ask you engineering types if par steel is a real thing. Not that I know of. I don't think so. Oh yeah, and the apart from the establishing shots, the most elaborate special effect in this episode of pulling a like mannequin hand out of someone's sleeve. <laughs> yeah. And then having the fingers slowly clench. That's true. That would that would, you, you couldn't just do that with something you'd nicked out of H and M. I like to imagine this is like taking the wheel off a bike or something. You can do it incredibly quickly, but it's a like half hour painful job with specialized <laughs> tools to reattach his arm. Trying to reattach Data's arm with some tire levers <laughs> and a lump hammer. There you go. It's just hit him around the head with a hammer. Yeah, he he could have at least warned Data. Surreptitiously unfurled a paperclip and jammed it in the factory reset thing on the back of his neck. <laughs> but they specifically chose one of the, the chairs, like the Enterprise command chairs, that has the slit down the middle so you can access the shutoff switch. I think when they turn him back on, he gets that little message that just says, Warning, you did not complete a proper shutdown. Uh, do you want to reopen your Chrome windows? <laughs> you always click no. It probably wasn't that important, whatever I was doing. You know, it's just in case it's poured and you had to shut it quickly because someone walked in the room. (laughs) 
there's an implication that Picard calls for a recess after the prosecution's case in order to go and get a quick drink and steady his nerves. Not to reboot Data. <laughs> yeah, I guess also re- get the tire irons into Data's sleeves. A lot of the defence case is based on how do we treat a whole world full of Data's. I'd, I'd liked his opening argument of trying to get him to define what sentience was and then prove that Picard was sentient. Yeah, because in this, and I think in philosophy general, generally, sentience is kind of a I-know-it-when-I-see-it thing. Hmm. Something that I would I would have introduced had I been in a writing position in TNG is at some point in some crazy time travel episode, go to the future and have a whole ship manned entirely by data type androids <laughs> who have never heard of a human being. <laughs> that would create a bit more of a philosophical pause in this episode, I think. Well, to be fair, I I think Voyager did something very similar because they had like almost an entire season of exploring hologram rights. And was the doctor yeah. a person? Now he had a mobile emitter, and then they found the entire race of hologram-based beings. And then there was the ship that was crewed entirely by holograms and just wanted to live on a planet on their own. So I'm pretty sure they circled back round to this issue in Voyager. I like that at the very start of uh, Jean-Luc's opening argument, he literally goes through everything that the prosecution has stated and just gone, yes. They've proved, they've shown this, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> yes, we agreed to this, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It's something similar where they go, like, well, okay, let's let's dry you out and turn you into powder. And let's see if there's any, uh, any obviously bits that make you a person or any consciousness left then. I may have mentioned this last week when we skipped ahead to, what we're, to this episode. I called to the stand commander Bruce Maddox as a hostile witness. I don't really know I what that means. More of a douchebag. It's a witness that's antagonistic to the defence, I think. I also think it's an American term. Yeah, I don't know how it changes what you're allowed to ask. Uh, Maybe it gives you a little bit more leeway when trying to ask certain questions in certain ways. I'm kind of surprised the Federation hasn't had this kind of discussion before. Yeah, you'd think when they were just working on ships' computers, at some point someone would have tried to lay it down. But then I guess maybe they have. That's what the acts of Sutherland that they referred to at some earlier point are. And just come down on the incredibly illiberal position of everything's a machine until proven otherwise. Well, when they... Um, so in The Offspring, later, where it's referenced this, where Data creates Lal, his daughter. Oh, yeah. Picard references this episode, and effectively, this ruling only applies to Data, not all androids. Hmm. So it doesn't directly apply to Lal. Obviously, it's set precedent, but it doesn't directly apply to Lal to start off with. Laurel was referred to in this. Is that the first time he's been mentioned, or has he had an episode before? No, he's already had an episode. In a genuine, like, real-world discussion of what level of automation is possible in the economy, someone raised the question of whether or not BB-8 is a slave. (laughs) To make the point that there's a possibly narrow gap between... Well, to steal a reference from somewhere else, as in XKCD, intelligent enough to do your ironing and intelligent enough to wonder why it has to do your ironing. There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit in Rick and Morty where Rick builds a robot. What is my purpose? Pass the butter. Oh my god. Yeah, man, get used to it. It's not a slave, it's just it purely exists to pass the butter, this intelligent robot. It's like, yep, life sucks. Get used to it. 
So they referred, returned to this theme at some point, I think, like, quite late in the run, like season six or seven, with some little, like, autonomous mining robots that they eventually conclude are intelligent. Yes, I was I was thinking that when you were talking about the, the ironing. But those actually are boxes on legs, as I recall. They, yeah, they look like a, like a slightly egg-shaped thing about a foot across. And they come up with a plan that will save all the people by getting them to get be destroyed and data says no you can't order them to do it and they they offer it to them as a plan and they come with their own variation where one of them sacrifices itself to save the other two and everyone else i cannot remember what that episode's called or <laughs> even what season season is in <laughs> i feel like picard as lawyer comes back a few times but maybe i'm just thinking that because he was in a courtroom in the first episode no it, it there's definitely the Riker on trial episode yeah i'm sure there's another occasion where he's I mean, a lot of the time he's just doing his space diplomat thing, which is vaguely advocate-ish. Advocesque. He's monologuing. <laughs> yeah. It does monologue. I mean, he does a very good monologue. He's a Shakespearean actor. Yeah, I was going to say, this whole episode before I said you could put it on stage without that much technical difficulty, and having Sir Patrick Stewart would definitely help with that. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely playing to his strengths. So reading about the episode on Wikipedia... It's certainly uh, Brent Spiner's favourite episode of TNG. Really? And I think it was one of Patrick Stewart's... Sorry, Sir Patrick Stewart's favourite. Yeah, Stewart concurred that this is the first truly great episode of the series. But his favourite episode was The Inner Light. Marina Sirtis says it's her favourite episode as well, even though she's not in it. Uh, which is the crux of the court case, which basically comes down to... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but you know what? He gets to make up his own damn mind. So apparently there's an ex- like an extended edition with about 12 minutes of extra footage. Hmm. Which is apparently in the Blu-rays, but obviously has not made it onto their Netflix cut. Well, that would make this a full hour before adverts. Yeah, yeah, it would. So it can't ever have been intended to go in, well, I suppose. I just think, I wonder if it's in like HD or something, and that's why they choose not to throw it on online, online where ads are no longer a concern. Yeah, possibly. I do wonder with some like extended bits if they didn't bother to save the uh, 1080 or 4K you know, negatives from the uh, analog film era. Yeah. So it's not a case of just take the actual master and then re-record it onto DVD type thing. It would actually involve finding the original tape somewhere from you know, literally from the cutting room floor and re-scanning it in HD rather than just taking like a VHS copy and saying, oh no. 1080 VHS, 1080 again. <laughs> so kind of the button on the episode is basically Picard getting a date with the judge, question mark? Yeah, she's got a very big grin on her face and a, a little cheeky smile for him. Well, she also says you're buying dinner, which again makes very little sense. I go, you're pressing the buttons on the replicator that's owned by the state. <laughs> but I can imagine that's the kind of cultural hangover that would last a very long time after the year. After money has fallen out of utility. Yeah, I suppose that's Unless, true. Yeah. I was wrong, though, because the actual last scene is Data and Riker having their heart-to-heart. But Data going, hey, why aren't you coming to my victory party? And Riker going, dude, I tried to get you murdered. But by trying to get me murdered, you stopped me from being murdered by default, and therefore saved me. Even though it really upset you and hurt your feelings. How sweet. It's a little robot bromance. Well, you've missed... Well, missed... The other robot bromance earlier is um, Geordie and Data's interaction. That's what made me think about how the you know, the uh, crew interactions have changed from the last episode we watched. Because mm. Geordie and Data definitely have a bromance. Well, they do spend all that time playing Sherlock and uh, Watson. 
That's very true. I mean, it never gets mentioned that Data is the third, he's third in command of the ship. It's the third highest ranking officer on board ship. Yeah, he gets a, doesn't he get a temporary command at some point? He does when they go up against Tasha's illegitimate half-Romulan daughter. All right, that was a detail I did not remember. <laughs> yeah, they put they, they yeah. get like a fleet of ships and they put a web of tachyon beams and Data gets given command of a ship and they, uh, the first officer there is really anti-android. He is definitely an android racist in that episode. It doesn't Data effectively just relieve him of duty until he come back and not be racist? He threatens to do that. He doesn't actually do it. But the Romans say, oh, that one's got the android as a captain. Focus on that one. And Data just goes... <laughs> and well, he doesn't kick the shit out of them because I don't think they shoot anything, but he works out how to uh, spot the Romulans because Data is awesome. Do you agree with Prince Biner, best episode ever? No, I agree with Sir Patrick Stewart <laughs> as to what the best episode ever is. Hmm. It was it was a, a, a good episode. Yeah, it felt worlds away from the previous one, the last one we watched. The crew certainly felt more like the crew going forward than the crew I remember watching growing up. Very different from Farpoint crew. Yeah, it's not hashtag not my crew anymore, is it? No. Nah. Hashtag except the Doctor. Hashtag also the uniform still zip up on the front. But other than that, <laughs> it's possible I don't really understand what hashtags are for. <laughs> No, I think you're getting it. Just hashtag anything you like. That's how you type on Twitter. You just break up your um, sentence into three to five word fragments and put a hashtag in front of them. Yeah, no spaces and hashtag it. And now you can Twitter. (laughs) I I think you said last week you thought this one would be up my street, and it certainly is. I like it a lot. It's not my favourite, but it's certainly in the good pile. I'd definitely say it's a very good episode for one that's not very science fiction-y. It it tackles a big subject, but I think it does it pretty well. So what's our next episode? Is it another candidate for best ever? Uh, no. (laughs) I think I know what it is. Why don't you try the exact opposite end of the spectrum? We're going to flippity-flop all the way to Shades of Grey. I'm fairly sure I have not seen this because I think I would remember based on everything I've heard about it. Well, even if you've not seen it, you've seen most of it. <laughs> it's the Star Trek version of how can we do a clip show without just having the characters sit around and say, do you remember the time that? That's basically it. Yeah, let's let's stimulate Riker's brain to show us bits of the previous episode so we don't have to write a new one. So it's not Fifty Shades of Earl Grey? Uh, no. <laughs> the Picard Crusher love story that we're all waiting to happen. Clean up on Holodeck 2. I suppose for completeness sake, we ought to go away and watch this episode then. Unfortunately, yes. This might be another one where I need a restorative good episode to follow it. <laughs> like the, possibly I will go, and w- go away and watch the one that's the same plot as Interaction. <laughs> it's called Who Watches the Watches or something similar. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm with it. Yes. It's got the, yeah, Bronze Age duck blind thing. Yep. Yeah, so next week, Shades of Grey. I'm, I'm very sorry. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Hashtag tune in next week. Hashtag remedial nerding. Hashtag Star Trek. Hashtag TNG. Hashtag engage. You know, I never thought I would say this. But it's good to see you again. It brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. And a damn sexy man. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.